Allow me to begin the same way I did last week. These are times of desperation, disease, division, discord, death. These are harsh times. None are exempt. So we're asking, is there any hope? Yes, there is. It may be obscured by the clouds or the darkness of night before dawn, but it is there. Here's how the prophet Zephaniah described the coming harsh times. Zephaniah 1, 15. A day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Was he speaking of this day, these times we're now living in? Or was he speaking about a time that was coming for Israel in their relative future, the 5th or 6th century B.C.? Or was he speaking about some future day that is still yet to come? Yes. You knew that was coming, didn't you? When prophets speak, it is almost always layered in its fulfillment and application. Prophets speak on behalf of God. They hear from God and make his word and will known. I overviewed biblical prophecy last week as we began our study in this ancient 2,600-year-old letter. Amazingly relevant for us today. If you missed it, I strongly encourage you to go and listen. Each message in this series will build on one another. So through the lens of Zephaniah, we will see who God is, who he always has been and always will be. We'll see what God does and always will do, which provides for us wisdom and perspective in our present day, for he is unchanging, as are his purposes. We will not be working our way verse by verse through. I assure you, though, every verse is important and I intend to capture them all. I urge you to engage, if you haven't already, read through this letter multiple times, perhaps once a week in preparation. It's short, just three chapters, but it is power-packed. Like I said last week, brace yourself and hang on to the end. Through the harsh words, there is incredible hope. I believe it's a message we must receive. We must always heed the prophets, though we often do the very opposite. We dismiss and marginalize. We often silence them. Tragic to our own detriment and destruction. Do we not long to be people full of the Spirit of God and of his empowering for all of life? We must seek the voice of God through his prophets. Paul said, the apostle, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not quench the Spirit and do not despise the prophecies. Now prophets may speak of some specific future events, but often it's with a broader scope than that. They often bring a warning of what will always happen without a significant course correction, a turning and returning to God. But most importantly, prophets reveal who God is, his character, for he is holy, he is righteous, he is sovereign, which means he rules over all and is in control of all. That will be our primary focus today. Because he is holy and righteous and sovereign over all creation, he is angry at evil, at anything that mars his good creation. Remember, at the very beginning, everything that God made, he called good, even very good. 
And he promises to restore all things, making them good again. God's character determines his actions. They are essentially inseparable. He is an unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, says Hebrews 13, 8. He will bring justice. He will perfectly judge. He will restore his creation to its rightful state. He will redeem and renew and make all things right because he is righteous. He is also patient and steadfast in love with all of his children, even those who have run from him and rebelled against him. He endures with us far beyond what we deserve and often beyond our comprehension. This is who God is and always has been. So when prophets speak and reveal God's will and word, they're always proclaiming the same message. Now there may be some time-specific, people-specific words or warnings that prophets bring, just as Zephaniah certainly does. But when we receive their words in the bigger story of who God is and what he's doing and what he's always done, then the words of the prophets stand forever. What Zephaniah proclaims, we need to hear. God is in control of all things. He is ruling over all things, all people, all history. Whether we are aware of it or not, he is sovereign. The whole testimony of Scripture clearly proclaims this, including Zephaniah. God is always in control. We are not, ever. That should be comforting, Even when we don't fully understand or we can't begin to fathom what he's doing or wrap our mind around his bigness, to know that he is in control, that should lead us to worship, to trust, and to hope. When our whole world seems in chaos, there is one who is in control. Jesus knew this. That's why he could sleep in the boat in the midst of a storm while the disciples feared for their lives. That kind of peace is ours through faith. We need it today, don't we? So many are frantic, so many resistant. Whether the proud in heart who will do anything not to relinquish control, or the insecure, the anxious, who spend almost their entire energy in life trying to maintain control or to grasp at it, to have it all together and planned out. Some of us, Perhaps all of us need to repent for believing we were in control of our life and our future and our family, their protection, their provision. We're not still clinging to that false notion, are we? All it took was a microscopic bug that we can't even see to bring our world to a grinding halt and to shake our future plans to the core. Will we walk humbly from now on? Have we not been humbled? Please, I urge us all, may it not take more to bring us to our knees. Even if personally this pandemic has still been more of an interruption than a disruption or a devastation, would you come to your knees alongside brothers and sisters who have lost everything, even their last glimmer of hope? Do not turn a blind eye or a hardened heart. May we come to our knees before our sovereign God, who was and is and always will be in complete control, will we come in repentance, turning, returning to him? Will we come in worship, 
And will we come in trust? Now, that doesn't mean we'll be given all the answers that we want to know or that we'll be shown what tomorrow holds. But that's a good thing. It keeps us seeking him. In fact, though, he has told us what's coming, at least a glimpse through his prophets like Zephaniah, so that we should not be surprised. Now, God's methods, his ways, his timing may not be ours, but he does have that prerogative. Listen to what God says of himself through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's bigness is mind-boggling. He holds the ever-expanding universe in his hands. He spoke it into existence with a word. He has named every star and is the source of their light and heat. And yet he dwells with us. And he speaks to us. He is not only present with every person on earth today, all 7.8 billion of them. He is present with every person who has ever lived across time, past, and future. Not only is he present with you right now, in this moment, and I need you to know that, he is present with you in your yesterdays and in your tomorrows, for he created time and stands in authority over it. In Zephaniah, God's authority and sovereignty over time is on full display. Twenty-one times God declares, I will. Another twenty times, it shall be. In chapter 3, God speaks of past and future at the same time by declaring, I have, as he stands both in the past and the future. Zephaniah 3.6, I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. When we come to the end of our capacity to fathom God's sovereignty, we should come to our knees in worship of him. Whenever we find ourselves praying prayers like, God, where are you? God, it seems like you're silent or absent. God, this is hard. This is painful. And I know you can stop it. You can heal. You can deliver. Why won't you? Those kinds of prayers. Remember that Jesus himself prayed for God's help, for his deliverance. In his greatest anguish, he prayed for a different path to be his future. The night before his resurrection, moments before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to his God. This is Mark 14, 36. Jesus prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but thy will be done. The cup in the First Testament was a symbol of God's wrath, and Jesus knew it was about to be poured out upon him, and he was in anguish over it, and cried out for God to deliver him, yet thy will be done. As hard as life can be, in the harshest of times, we should pray for deliverance, for rescue, for help from our God and Father. But will we yield, as Jesus did, to his will alone? He is perfect, holy, good, and sovereign. Thy will be done. 
He has promised to work all things according to the purpose of his will. That's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. God holds all power within himself. Listen to how he reveals himself in his word. Again, through Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The Apostle Paul again in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. The Apostle Paul preached in Athens in Acts 17.24. And he preached this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, in order that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And we could go on and on with scripture after scripture of God's sovereignty, his control, authority, and power. The whole book is a testimony of his sovereignty and control over all history. The patriarch Joseph proclaimed this early on in the story. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be saved as they are today. See, God bent even the evil intention of men to his purposes. The Apostle Paul would say something similar in Romans 8, 28. God works all things for the good of those who love him. Kings and kingdoms will rise and they will fall, but God is sovereign over them all. Daniel proclaimed this, Daniel 2, verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. No earthly wisdom or power, no king or ruler or government or movement has any ultimate authority, only what our sovereign God has granted to them for a time. From our little Western world bubble of affluence and freedom, the world seemed to be on a pretty great trajectory, didn't it? We seem to have things pretty well in control three months ago prior to COVID-19. Has God sent this virus as a plague, this calamity? Is this judgment? Is it deserved? Or is it exactly what we need? More on that in the weeks ahead. I hope you'll stay with us. For today, be sure of this. God is not absent or aloof or impotent. In fact, we are so myopic Plagues and pandemics are a fairly normal and regular part of this broken world. 
Perhaps what's abnormal is the affluence and comforts and pleasures and freedom that we have had in the West during our lifetime. To be sure, God can send plagues and he can end them with a word. And to be sure, he grieves over the pain and suffering and loss that comes to his children. We see this picture of God's heart in Jesus as he, like his father, looked over the city of Jerusalem and loved them, even in their rebellion. Luke 13, 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. God our Father desires to draw all peoples to himself, to save them, to deliver them. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 3. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He can save all. He can end the storms and plagues with a word. Why then would he will them and allow them to wreak havoc? To warn? To awaken? Does he have our attention? Perhaps he intends to strip away the confidence we put in ourselves and in earthly things. A man who thinks of himself as a king in his own right will not bow in the throne room of another, perhaps only out of courtesy. Have we given God a courtesy bow or a quick kneel before him and then brought our requests? Do our prayers sound more like this? Here's what you can do for me, O king. Or do our prayers sound like the prophet Isaiah who found himself in God's throne room through a vision? Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We must not at any point take God's apparent silence or inaction for absence or for approval. He is doing what he has always done, ruling and guiding all of history to its promised end, warning of the consequences and judgment that will come upon all who reject and dismiss his presence, his power, and his purpose. And now he is patiently waiting, still pouring out grace upon grace, in this time of warning, until the final day of the Lord will come. Zephaniah will speak on that in the chapters ahead. We have been given a foretaste of what his kingdom will look like on that day. The day of the Lord has come in part when Jesus was first sent from heaven to earth to be the one true king. Zephaniah's compatriot, Zechariah, said this in Zechariah 9.9, 9, proclaiming the coming king, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Yet he is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you know the story, Jesus would fulfill this perfectly when he came into Jerusalem for Passover, his final Passover on earth before he would be crucified. The king who had laid down his life for his people. John 12, 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king has come. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. God has given to him all authority and sovereignty in heaven and earth. The apostle Paul made this clear, and he prayed earnestly for the church to know it. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. God the Father has raised Christ from the dead, and has seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, all power and all dominion, and every title that can even be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Jesus is king over all. And this king will return, as promised, the righteous one, And he will bring justice and final judgment against evil. This final day of the Lord is what Zephaniah proclaims. All creation will be restored. The earth will be cleansed again, just as it was in the days of Noah. All evil and wickedness and injustice will be wiped away. On that day, every knee will bow before King Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 and following. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before Paul declared it, Zephaniah did. Zephaniah 2.11 The Lord will be awesome against them. He will famish all the gods of the earth. And to him shall bow down, each in its place, all the lands of the nations. Every knee and every tongue. Both the humble and the meek who have loved and pursued God in this life and the proud and self-exultant. We will willingly bow now as his church. Will you heed the words of Jesus But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other worries of life will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. We are right to long for the day of justice, the day when God judges evil, when he defends and raises up the weak, when he rescues those in bondage and oppression, when he restores all creation and brings shalom to the earth. But before we say, come Lord Jesus, come, we must be sure that our heart has the posture of Isaiah's in the throne room of God, humble and meek and fully aware of our unworthiness to even be in his presence. For we are not proud and all too often self-righteous, are we? 
If we think to ourselves, we're the good ones, it's those others who will be judged. We then prove ourselves just as arrogant, blind to our own rebellion against God, our continual distrust and dismissal of Him in favor of doing whatever pleases our own heart. When we hear the warning of Zephaniah and respond, chapter 2, verse 2 and following, and we'll wrap it up. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, before all of this, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Will we humbly seek the Lord and his righteousness? Will we willingly bow down now before God our King, before King Jesus, in this day? He is the only King forever, the only King who can save, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's who he's always been and who he'll always be, past, present, and right now, we need his presence more than ever. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Oh Lord, may it be. King Jesus, be present with your church. We are humbled. We are in need of you. May we seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna.